Hi, and welcome to the East Cobb Presbyterian Church Student Ministry Podcast, where all lessons from your junior high leaders, youth staff members, and discipleship group leaders are available. We pray that this podcast will bless you and grow you in your knowledge and love of Jesus. Keep listening for this week's message. So I'm going to do a talk tonight on identity. I'm going to do a little bit different than I've done before. I'm going to do some reading, pretend like you're in class. But before I do, let me pray for us. Let's close your eyes. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight that we could have uh, the fifth graders here. We pray that, pray that they will just enjoy themselves and um, that they will uh, learn from this lesson. And, and everyone else too, Lord, that you've put on my heart, that you will speak through me. It will be helpful for growing in knowledge, growing in love of you. I just want to pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do a lesson called Searching for God Knows What. I came up with it. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. That guy did. Donald Miller is an author. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. He wrote this one. He's a very like, casual writer. It's kind of stream of thought, kind of stories from his life to make illustrations and points about faith. So I'm going to read the longest excerpt is the first. And uh, it's called Chapter 7, Adam, Eve, and the Alien. All right, so listen up. How the fall makes you feel. I was thinking about all this the other day while my roommate Grant and I were watching a Blazers game. That's a, for the folks that don't know, it's NBA. He's from Oregon. I was telling Grant that if I were an alien, I came down to Earth from some far-off planet, there were a few things I'd notice about people. And the first thing I would notice is that the way they looked. That is, if people looked different on my planet. Then I would notice how their cities were constructed, and how, depending on how the civilization, civilization had advanced from where I was from, I would notice how far ahead or far behind that city would happen to be. And if this is an alien coming from outer space, we'd be far behind. You know what I mean. Mass transit and all, technology. But after I got over all this and sat down to have a Coke with some people, I'd really find out what they were interested in, what they loved, what they hated. There would be one thing I would notice that would kind of explain everything. And by everything... I mean all the stuff that makes a person want to live his life a certain way or the stuff that drives a person's thoughts, subconscious and conscious. But he's talking like the alien, like coming down, first time, interacting with people. I was telling Grant, let's say an alien, and I had to go back to my home planet, and I explained some of this stuff to the other head alien guy about our planet. And I told Grant what I would say as the head, to, the head, to the head alien. This is what the alien would be saying. The thing that defines human personalities is that they are constantly comparing themselves to one another. Grant kind of nodded at me as if he thought this was interesting. He took a sip of his Coke and went back to watching the game. But I kept thinking about that the whole night. I got out of bed and wrote my thoughts down on a piece of paper, you know, as if I were an alien. And this is what I put down on a fancy alien voice. And then this is where I forgot something at home. My, my kids have this really annoying, loud microphone that does all these funny voices. I was going to read that with an alien voice, but forgot it. All right, so this is what the alien would say. Humans, as a species, are constantly and in every way comparing themselves to one another, which, given the brief nature of their existence, seems an oddity, and for that matter, a waste. Nevertheless, this is the driving influence behind every human's social development their emotional health, their sense of joy, and sadly, their greatest tragedy. It's as though something has helped 
them function and live well has gone missing. And they are pining for that missing thing in all sorts of weird ways. And they're not working. The greater tragedy is that very few people understand they have the disease. This seems strange as well because it's obvious. To be sure, it's killing them, and yet sustaining their social and economic system. They are an entirely beautiful people with a terrible problem. And, according to the author, Donald Miller here, who likes to hold his umbrella upside down, that's how the alien would see the world. It's obvious to me there's something wrong with us. There's something incomplete. The same guy who says there isn't anything incomplete is probably the same guy who cries himself to sleep at night or tries to get a lot of people to love him or has a terrible prejudice towards others. We all have these tendencies, and they come from somewhere. A few days later, Grant and I were watching television again, and I wondered out loud what an alien would think if he came over to watch some of the TV with us. I wondered what an alien would think of our television shows. He probably wouldn't understand any of it because all the plots have to do with, some, with getting and finding the thing that's missing in our souls. Only not getting it from God, but getting it from other people. <clears throat> all right, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Oh, no, I'm not. This is a good part. The alien wasn't missing the same thing we were missing. He would sit there in the room with Grant and me, and he'd watch the basketball game. Think about this for a second. Why do we play the game? Why do, they, why do they do that, the alien might say. It's a game, it's a competition, Grant and I would answer. But why? Why play the game? What are they trying to decide? Well, they're trying to decide who's better. The better basketball team, the alien might question, wondering out loud, why 20,000 people would show up to find which basketball team is better by simply throwing a basketball through a hoop. Well, feeling a little bit judged, Grant and I might turn the channel. Because if you really think about it, it sounds kind of odd. Why do so many people pay to see that? Well, guess what show they went on? E! Entertainment, called Rank. The show that ranks people from best to worst based on some random criteria. The episode might count down who's the most eligible bachelor or the hottest couple or the best body, best eyes, best smile, whatever. Then knowing the show was again proving the alien's point, just like basketball, we might turn the channel to that show Survivor or Fear Factor, or The Bachelor, or Last Comic Standing, whatever. And we'd sort of feel bad because, wait a minute, all our shows are about this. They're all built on the same premise, the same idea. We're comparing ourselves. You guys, the alien might say, you're obsessed. You have to wear a certain kind of clothes, drive a certain car, speak a certain way, live in a certain neighborhood, whatever. All of it so you can feel higher on this invisible hierarchy. It's an obsession. You're trying to feel right by comparing yourself to others. It's ridiculous. Who told you there was anything wrong with you in the first place? Don't you know that a human is just a human? All us aliens are one color, right? Green or gray. They're all naked. You never see them with clothes on. So there you go. What's that story about? What's the point of that? What's he getting at? Feel free to raise your hand. We're going to be a little bit more interactive. Who is the alien? He's like saying, all right, what's going on in the world? What are you humans about? What's he telling Grant? What's he telling Donald? May? <gasps> okay, your hand was half up. Nobody wants to answer that? 
Jacob? Yeah, what they're missing? <clears throat> what are, so what are they doing? What are they doing to like show that? Yeah, he is, kind of. That's a good point. <clears throat> but he's seen all these comparisons that humans are making with one another. You know, based off competition, looks, skills, smarts. All right, so there's the alien. There's that funny meme with the alien guy. Aliens are like this. Um, so people are judging each other. There's something missing which makes you compare yourself to others. There's something missing inside of us. What other areas do you see people judging and comparing themselves with other people? What other areas do you see that happen in life? Like grades. Yeah, grades. Yeah, school, academics. What other ways do we compare ourselves? Social media. Social media. How so? Instagram, specifically. But I mean, how do, how do you compare? Like, by followers and likes? Just, I don't know. You see another person's post and you're like, dang, she's prettier than me. Or, wow, I wish I had that. Yeah. It's just comparing what you have to what they have. Yep. So people are only posting their best on those things and that's all you see. What other things do people compare to other people or judge about other people? And guess what? It doesn't change when you get older. I was in a small group with a bunch of men a couple years ago, and one of them mentioned how, you know, he felt bad about not having a big, bigger house than he expected. This guy was like, made lots of money. And I was thinking, I don't even have a house. I was living in a cabin that was owned by someone else at the time. So you, you don't really grow out of it. So why do you think we have that problem? Where does it come from? God. Does it come from God? Wait, what? <laughs> May? Sin? So sin makes us feel what? <clears throat> makes us feel incomplete. Like there's something missing. And there is. So, let me go here. Oh, here we go. <clears throat> there's a girl looking in the mirror. And what does she see? You want to dim the lights a little bit? Can't really tell. That's kind of what Laura Grace was talking about. There's all the posts, all the different people. It's so easy to compare yourself with everyone else. There we go. Comparison is a thief to joy. It's a really good quote. Comparison is a thief to joy. Another way I've heard it said is, um, imagine you have an apple in your hand and you've got an apple, right? Apples are good to eat. You've got food. But then you start comparing your apple, you're comparing your life to someone else. And basically, what, you're, you're the one that puts a worm in the apple. The worm is your discontentment. The worm is your comparison. The worm is you're not happy and content with what you have. So you've put it there. So, there we go. More competition going on. At the heart of this whole issue, the author's describing that it's something that's broken, and we're trying to find value and happiness when what other people think of us or how we think about ourselves in comparison to others. Is comparison ourselves to others the answer? No, it's not. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs here, and we'll move into the next section. 
But he's talking about this idea again. All right. Think about this. Try and do this this week, or even tonight. Listen to the conversations you've had for the next week or so. If you're like me, you'll probably hear a hidden conversation beneath the real conversation. Stuff like movies and food and people become ideas. And we're all deciding whether we're on the right or wrong side of the idea. Knowing if, uh, that if we aren't on the right side, there's a price to pay. For instance, if you walk into a room uh, where your classmate is or teammate or your friend and you say something like, Hey, Laura Grace, you know, the other day when you said you like enchiladas, well, I just want to let you know that people who like enchiladas, they're dorks. <clears throat> it's true. I read it on a report in a magazine, and it says that if you like enchiladas, you're most likely a geek in school, and you probably have problems with relationships and getting people to like you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I bet if you did that, I bet if I really did that to Laura Grace, she would get upset. In fact... Her face when I said that, she was like, <clears throat> right? So you get upset. Even though the idea is stupid, it's unfounded, it doesn't matter. The jury of your peers is spoken. So the truth of it is kind of out there, even though it's not really true. There's a threat that's been made. A friend of mine pointed out recently that here in Portland, when the Trailblazers win a game, or think about this, who's your favorite sports team? Auburn. All at once, say your favorite sports team. One, two, three. <clears throat> When they win, what do we say to our friends who are also fans of that team? We won last night. When they lose, what do we say? We say, they lost. Don't we? We won. We associate with them. They're winners. When they lose, I can't believe the Falcons. They lost. They had that Super Bowl wrapped up oh, a couple years ago. Yeah, so we don't want to be in the lifeboat of life with a loser. So we'll jump out and say, nope, no, we're not going to associate with you guys. It's going to cost us something. We're only wanna, we only want to be with winners. So here's the thing. Christianity is an identity. You're in a lifeboat. You've got Christianity's undergirding you. You're in the boat that's going to last. Uh, but when we compare ourselves to other things, we realize that, hey, that, that life, life, lifeboat's not going to make it. It's going to sink because we're finding value in what other people are saying. <clears throat> so where should you find your sense of worth? In God, yeah. So your self-worth is at stake every day. And in middle school, I'm sure you guys have felt that. Uh, when people tease you just for fun, sometimes it can sting a little bit. You get miserable when other people say something negative, even if it's in jest, maybe it's a joke. Because ultimately in our heart, we want to feel a part of something. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel validated. And so we got to be careful. We feel that brokenness that comes from the fall all the time. Not just with our friends, not just in our culture, but it happens in our relationship with God because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. And now we try and get that relationship restored, that validation, everywhere we can look. So... <clears throat> What are some other areas that you guys try and find validation? Meaning, where do you try and find value in your life, worth in your life? And it's not necessarily the bad things. It's good things that we do that with. So, when you feel happy about something, let's write it on the whiteboard. 
that gives you a sense of happiness and value and worth, what is it? Where do you get, we, someone said grades earlier. Sports. Grades, sports, looks, friends, possessions, things you find value in, they give you a sense of value. Cars, family, phone, money, bananas. All right, if you're a monkey, it's bananas. All right, I'm going to end with that. That's a decent list. But you can also fill in the blank with whatever you're into, you know? You know, that gives us some value, that gives us some worth. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to read a little bit more. Oh. All right, oh, no, I meant to have that on there. Sorry. There's the enchilada slide. I completely forgot to put that up. Enchiladas are not cool. All right, so there's a super fan. We won, we associate. They lost, we don't. <clears throat> All right. They are, they're not cool. All right. This is one paragraph. Think about this. Last year I caught an interview with an actor, Tom Arnold. It was a book that he wrote. It's a funny title. How I Lost Five Pounds in Six Years. <laughs> He's a comedian. The interviewer asked why he wrote the book. And he said, well, the author saying, Donald, I was somewhat amazed by the honesty of Arnold's answer. The comedian stated that most entertainers in show business because uh, the most, oh, they're in show business because they're broken people. They want acceptance. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for, for love. He says that the reason I wrote the book, he said, is because I wanted something out there so people would tell me they liked me. It's the reason behind almost everything I do. That's literally what he said to the, the person. Why'd you write the book? I wanted people to like me. It's the reason I do almost everything. This is an adult who said that. I kind of like Tom Arnold now. He's being honest. You know, We do things because we want people to like us. We think there's worth and value in, in the things we're good at. And there is. And those aren't bad things. Are those bad things? No. But they can be if they're the ones we go to for value, for acceptance. So sin breaks our relationship with God. That's the problem. And we look for it in other places. What does Scripture say? God's love is unconditional. It's unending. It's unmistakable. We are beloved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So our identity is more than just in God because if God didn't send his son, it wouldn't mean anything. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. He's the one that intervened. He's the one that came from heaven to earth. And when God sees us, he doesn't see the brokenness. He doesn't see the competing, the comparing, trying to be more than someone else. 
If we really have said, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I need to be in relation with you, I believe that you died for my sins. And you're tr trying to live for him, and you're trying to grow in your faith. <clears throat> God doesn't see your brokenness. He sees you as a child of God. You are a person in Jesus. <clears throat> Our identity is found in him. We are his masterpiece. I have been crucified with Christ. I no, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, over and over again, we see that we can give up the burden of trying to carry it all on our own, of trying to be good enough for God, trying to be good enough for other people. It's Christ who lives in us. All he wants you to do is say, yes, I will follow you. Help me. I can't be perfect. I can't be the perfect Christian. I can't be the perfect son or daughter or friend. I need you. We are his sons and daughters. We are his masterpiece. From, from eternity before, before he created the world, before he created the universe, he knew you. So we, are not, we should not be fearful. We should not be anxious. We receive God's spirit. We are adopted. We are his child. So think about that, guys. There's benefits to being a child of God. When you are a child, you have parents, you know, you have parents, right? They give you security. You don't have to worry about things as much because you're not thinking things smart. I mean, this morning, my two-year-old, three-year-old ran out in the parking lot. Like, no care in the world, mom and dad. Stop! Because someone was pulling out. So security. You've got a sense of security that you don't even need you know. You don't even know that you need. Because God's got it, got it all under control. He's got authority. Before you were a slave to sin, now you are a child. You, you have this authority that you can, you can take down those things that are enslaving you, the, the sins and the things that you struggle with. You can go to God. You have the, the honor of the family name. You have intimacy with God. You belong God is devoted to you. He's got that unconditional love for you. In fact, in Aramaic, the word Abba means what? You guys know? <clears throat> Even more than that, it's daddy. You cry out, daddy. <clears throat> it's intimate. It's, 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 it's what a child says to their father. You don't say daddy anymore because you're older. But when you're young, what does that mean? You have utter dependence. That's the kind of state that you are in now. You need to have utter dependence on God and he will, he will be there for you. You have assurance. He's never going to leave you. You have an inheritance. You've got all the riches of heaven stored up for you and you're going to get that, guys, if you follow him. And you have discipline. Uh-oh, wait, that's a good thing? Is that a good thing? Who's met someone who's never been disciplined? What would you call that person? Spoiled brat. Yeah. So it's a good thing you're disciplined because a loving father is going to give you boundaries and rules to live by so you'll be a mature person. And you have a family likeness. You're going to be made, you are made in the image of God. Jesus is living in you. And guess what comes with that? And he's going to be surprised and this is the last thing I'm going to say, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. You're going to have suffering. <clears throat> because the world is broken. There's going to be sin. There's going to be problems with other people. There's going to be disease. There's going to be natural disasters. You're not going to fully understand yourself sometimes. And that causes suffering and pain. And the world says, you can escape that by fill in the blank. Following all those things on that whiteboard. 
and hope that they will give you complete satisfaction and happiness, but they won't because they're going to let you down. But because you're in the, you're in the family of God and you have family likeness, guess who else suffered? Jesus. And now God sees you as Jesus. And if you're suffering like he is, well, you've got someone to go to. He's never going to abandon you. <clears throat> God doesn't promise that we are always going to be happy. He does promise, though, that if you trust him, he'll always be there for you. And that will give you a lot more assurance, a lot more peace, a lot more security, and a lot more contentment. So to focus on what Jesus did for you. All right, let me pray for us. <clears throat> if I thank you so much for these students, we pray that we will put our identity in you and not compare ourselves to others. Lord, that we will kind of maybe get outside of ourselves sometimes, like thinking about that alien, Lord. What would he really think about our culture? What would he really think about our family or our town? Or what would he really think about me? Am I really putting my value in other things other than God? And why? There is a brokenness in us, Lord, and it can only be fixed by focusing on you because, Lord, we are the child of God if we put our faith in you, and that changes everything. Just my prayer, amen.